Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us Dennis Powell, president of the Berkshire County branch of the NAACP, long-serving community activist. And prior to his retirement, he wore many different professional hats in the culinary and hospitality industries. He is a father of five, grandfather of four, and he stays in busy mode even in retirement. So we're going to get into all of that. But right now we're going to welcome Dennis Powell. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you for having me, Roberta. This is really great. Thank you. You are one of our community's um, illustrious figures, and it is really important that you continue to tell your story in your own words. So we have a, we have lots to get into regarding your community work, but, and the NAACP just has had its annual Freedom Fund event, and we're going to get into all of that. But I want to know about your time growing up in Pittsfield. We have had, over the years, conversations anecdotally about how Pittsfield used to look back in the day. You were able to show me pictures of um, different, you know, the community and everything. So you were born here. You grew up on West and Mill Streets. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Well, unfortunately, West no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, so much of my childhood, uh, from a location uh, standpoint, no longer exists. So I, I don't have the luxury of taking my grandchildren to the spots where I grew up, where I lived, uh, because all of that, unfortunately, uh, became the victim of urban renewal. What What's there now? Uh, the electric company mm-hmm. uh, on West Street, uh, the um, Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. All those were homes on that. Oh, beautiful! Not well. Yeah. When I say beautiful homes, they were homes with gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all had gardens. Uh, our, our front yards, ironically, were dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But there was a front yard before the actual road. And um, uh, West Street, on both sides of West Street, was, most of them were like duplexes, mm-hmm. two family homes. Uh, and um, so both sides of West Street. Then there was, if you came under the bridge, there was Satinette Street. Okay. Satinette Street rolled into Mill Street, which is where I live. Okay. Uh, after moving from West Street, my, my younger uh, years, we lived on West Street. We lived right above the Busy Bee restaurant. Okay. And, and the Busy Bee, where, where well, was that? Well, loca- that would be around where um, Big Y is now okay. and, and the, the bank, okay. um, uh, Greylock Federal Credit Union. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up uh, in that area. The entire West Street on both sides was flanked with restaurants. Really? Uh, from the Sheridan Hotel, which was on the corner, mm-hmm. which was really a classic building, mm-hmm. uh, which I was very disappointed when I got out of the service and came back to Pittsfield, and that building no longer existed. Mm-hmm. Neither did the train station, which was another really 
major blunder as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. How, did you ever go to that train station? Oh, we played in there. You did. Oh, they hated us in the neighborhood because <laughs> the train station mirrored Greylock, I mean Grand Central mm-hmm. in New York. It was all marble. I've seen pictures. Oh, yeah. Beautiful benches with the street lamp similar to uh, the train station in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amazing thing about it, because of all the marble and everything, it echoed. Mm-hmm. So as kids, we would open the door and yell in, and you could hear it. And then run away? And run. <laughs> <laughs> we were kids. Yeah, of course. You know, and amazingly, where the train station was, there was actually a bridge. There was steps that you could go up the steps, and you could cross over to Francis Avenue. Wow. Um, not friends like that. Upper West Street. Upper West Street. Right. From mm-hmm. uh, the West Street coming off mm-hmm. of North. And so, so it was like a shortcut. So mm-hmm. that was gone. Uh, like I said. It seemed like a pretty grand place. It was. It really was. And truthfully speaking. Yeah. We should have started the mall mm-hmm. at the train station mm-hmm. and come right up mm-hmm. West Street made that all pedestrian mm-hmm. and Pittsfield would have a different blueprint mm. today that's just my opinion mm-hmm. but um but it was it was beautiful there was a beautiful park in the center uh I'm trying to imagine they destroyed well where? right in the center of when you got to the bottom of West Street right there was this beautiful park um right across uh like I said, from where I live, from the Busy Bee mm-hmm. restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, we played in that park. It was beautiful trees. What was the name of the park? Beautiful bench. And it, it didn't have a name. It was, it was just, a, just park. a beautiful park there. And uh, I think the uh, one of the um, um, plaques or, mm-hmm. or stones mm-hmm. that was there, I thought... I think was moved up to City Hall. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But it was beautiful. And so all of that, like I said, uh, uh, was, was, was sort of destroyed. The uh, hotel itself used to feature a Friday night buffet. The Sheridan. Sheridan. Mm-hmm. And the line would be down the street. And the bellmen yeah. from that hotel, which pri- predominantly were black, mm-hmm. and most of them came from Reedsville, North Carolina, uh, my hometown was okay, and <laughs> we're, and so um, um, I knew I wanted to talk about this later on, but because you mentioned it right now, I'll jump to it. Was that around the time of like the Great Migration? Um, I want to say no. no That's Great Migration's no, earlier. No, yeah, much earlier. Um, all right. So the, these were people though that still saw the North as a place of great opportunity. Yeah. What had happened? The majority of the people came from Reedsville, North Carolina. Why? Where, because the fa- tobacco factory closed in Reedsville. In Reedsville. Mm. So uh, Cat Mays, which he, what he was called, he was the captain of the Bellman. Mm-hmm. He sent for mm-hmm. many of, like my grandfather, okay. who <clears throat> came by himself mm-hmm. and got the job, found the place to live. Then he sent for uh, my grandmother, my aunt, and my mother. Uh, and so all of the Bellman, yeah. uh, Bill Moore, um, uh, Charlie Powell, mm-hmm. Andrew Powell, 
Um, and these were considered good, decent, respectable jobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they had to carry the bags mm. from the train station mm-hmm. up to the hotel mm. when people came, mm-hmm. you know, and that was quite a, a haul. A haul. Mm-hmm. But they did it. They did it. And you they know. did it with pride. And they did it with pride. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they were the... Uh, uh, the main sources, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my mother ran the, the elevator mm-hmm. um, up until, you know, they closed the hotel and then mm-hmm. she went to work for uh, GE. Mm-hmm. I ran the elevator my last year of high school mm-hmm. at night. Now, of course, I don't think anybody realized that I was working from 11 to 7 mm-hmm. and then going from the hotel down to PHS. Because huh. I don't think it would have been allowed. Right. But, Child labor laws. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think people paid too much attention back then. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, yeah, and I, I mean, it was easy for me because, you know, at night there's not that much opportunity. Right. So I had time to do my, uh, my, my homework and all of that. And Well, what was the sense of community? Obviously, you talked about how one person would send for everyone else to come up from the South and say, here's a place of good, you know, you can you can get a good job, you can um, take care of your family. What was this the sense of community like among people who just lived on the block? What, paint a it picture for me. It was community. Mm-hmm. It was community. Now, of course, and, and, and I think it was a detriment, and that's why I'm so glad that our generation didn't um, inherit kids should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. But that was what I grew up in. But the beauty of the neighborhood was it never, they never said kids could not listen. So like Elizabeth Freeman, who was listening in on the conversation Mm -hmm. and said, well, no, they just can't include men. They must mean me too. And that's what started her, Mm -hmm. her action. I used to sit on the front steps and after dinner all the elders would come out on their porches Mm -hmm. and they had the ability to carry on a conversation five houses carry the conversation back and forth how i don't know to this day how (laughs) (laughs) but they did and i would just sit there ears perked listening shut my mouth Mm-hmm. And listen. Yeah, because you didn't dare interject. Oh, you, oh, you bet not. <laughs> right. You know, and um, because back then there was no child abuse. Right. You know, parents raised their children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I um, and I learned so much. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what they did. They communicated. What did you take from those conversations? Sense of belonging. A sense of community. Mm-hmm. I realized the importance of our survival was mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's face it, uh, we all did very well because a lot of the education was in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you how were, so? Well, because of uh, parents mm-hmm. and um, uh, of different family members mm-hmm. talking about. Events of the day, mm-hmm. you know, having that discussion mm-hmm. and you just sit there and listen and, uh, you know, and um, I was always somewhat of a rebel child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that I was born 
if if there's DNA that represents activism, mm-hmm. then I must have had that DNA because I was always not willing to accept everything that right. I was taught or told. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was hard for me, for instance, to believe that Columbus's foot was the first foot off that ship, mm-hmm. especially in a land that uh, he didn't even know. And you, 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 you felt that even as a child? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I said, we know mm-hmm. first one off the slip, ship would have been the, a slave mm-hmm. to see if it was going to get swallowed up or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it's... But that was my logic back then. That okay? was your logic. <laughs> well, I'm trying to imagine... Um, the world back then, and and if you could, what what was the the decade? What decade are we talking? Uh, back, well, I was born in forty five. Okay. So, um, I moved to that neighborhood. I think I was around maybe eight. Eight. Okay. Eight. eight. So in this early fifties, uh, sixties, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. That was, I think, the reason for urban renewal mm-hmm. was to break up mm. those families, because mm-hmm. I, I considered we were all doing really well, mm-hmm. even with the uh, the amount of oppression that we were probably facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me ask you about that oppression, because just in researching. Um, just the the black middle class back in the I want to say the the fifties sixties and or maybe sixties seventies early eighties, it's been said that there was a pretty thriving black middle class. So I'm um, I'm curious as to everything that we know about history and that time period. What did that look like in um, in 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 Pittsfield and in the Berkshires? Uh, well. It was. That's me, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> I thought I, I shut it off. That, that, I well, we have some interest in music. Okay. So uh, it was um, uh, It was really, uh, I think, of the Hart family mm-hmm. who, who own um, construction business. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of... Is this the same Hart family that Margaret Hart came yes, out of? Okay. Yes, All yes, right. yeah, and you know, and um, the Percips, mm-hmm. you know, and Arcel um, Hawkins. I mean, Will Singleton and I were actually mm-hmm. having a conversation the other day, and mm-hmm. just really reminiscing. And well, let's do a roll call right now. Some of the <laughs> some of the family names you mentioned: the Persips, oh, oh, the, yeah. the the Walkers. Okay, you know Frank and and interesting enough, mm-hmm. I just received a donation mm-hmm. from the children of uh, Frank Walker in honor of their mother who mm-hmm. just turned ninety. Wow! And um, she was telling them about when uh, she was living here in Pittsfield Mm -hmm. and her role as an activist. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she was quite uh, quite the activist. She was part of the contingency that had the um, sit-in at Woolworths. Mm -hmm. 
we're going to talk about that. Yeah, right. in conjunction with the sit-in in the South. Uh-huh. You know, they sort of timed it. And, uh-huh. and Frank Walker and Floyd Walker, uh, they both um, served as president of the NAACP. Right. They had an office on, on North Upper North Street. 467. Yes. <laughs> is that right where the renter center is? Right, like, right. On in that, that area, In that block. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And... They had a library. They created a library in mm-hmm. there. And, and students were actually, would go in there and do research. Um, so there was a lot going on. Uh, Pittsfield was more diverse in its public school system. That is, I mean, doing the research, it was, it's amazing to me because at a time when it's almost like Pittsfield was this microcosm that sort of marched to its own, the beat of its own drum, yeah. because nationally, I mean, things look bad and things were bad. And it really was surprising to me just to see at that particular time in history that there was this thriving group that would you say that race relations were harmonious? Um, let's say they were much more covert. Mm. I mean, they, it wasn't, it was not as blatant as, as it is right now. Mm. Um, I mean, we had, um, uh, principals of schools, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, what's her name? Caesar, mm-hmm. uh, Rhoda Caesar. Rhoda Caesar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So between the schools, there was more diversity. City Hall mm-hmm. um, under um, Gallo. Yes, mm-hmm. he uh, he had uh, black commissioners, mm-hmm. uh, Wilbert uh, Stockton, mm-hmm. and, and so on. So there was a lot more involvement, and that's probably why one of the reasons why you know the, the towards the end there the the NAACP had sort of died out because GE. They had a tremendous uh, affirmative action program mm-hmm. where they actually brought in uh, um, blacks from uh, other parts, you know, and put mm-hmm. them in mm-hmm. um, the Naval Ordnance Division. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and these were managers and supervisors. You know, they paid for their membership at mm-hmm. the various golf courses and everything. So, so people were able to have a good quality yeah, of life. Yeah. And... The downfall came when GE left. What happened to all the people who part part of this black middle class? Where did they go? Well, unfortunately, a lot of them passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of it. Um, and then when GE closed, a lot of them moved because mm-hmm. they moved with GE. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that's when it really became tough for blacks in Pittsfield because uh, my friend Will and I, he always says, when white people get a cold, black people get pneumonia. And the reference to that is when jobs got scarce, mm-hmm. people took care of their own. Mm, you know, right. so that's when it really tightened up. Right. When there were opportunity across the board, it was it was easier for people to really um, be comfortable just in their station in life or whatever they had because everyone had their own. But I think it, it, there's an element of human nature too that when you, um, when there's scarcity, oh, yeah. you, you look you take, at that. You protect your own. Right. You know, this right. became, you know, it really became mm-hmm. a society, of, you know, jobs were really more based on nepotism. There was a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, because people protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't retire until they had a family member that could take their spot. Mm-hmm. And, 
And, and this was reality. And um, but. Um, mm. So we had between that period, I remember I had a conversation um, with Mother Mabel Hamilton. Oh, God. And I remember she said to me that one of the things that she, you know, regretted the most was the fact that when they had, you know, um, her generation, they um, helped the children growing up. The, I think the message was, all right, now go. Yeah. Go away and, and make something of, of yourself. yourself. And the thing is that they did go away, but then they didn't come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it was never a life after work mm-hmm. created for young people. Mm-hmm. And we have that now, mm-hmm. uh, primarily. We, 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 we still are faced with that. But um, when they went away to school and was exposed mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, we, 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 we just listened to Olivia, mm-hmm. you know, and her... End of, right? Yeah. At Howard. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just being in Washington, D.C. Right. Around a, a sea of black people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Shirley and I are really working to make sure that we can get her back here. Right. But, but this is what happens. You right. know, they see something. Will Singleton. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went to Howard. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> he didn't come back until uh, his father had taken ill. Mm. You know, and he had, had retired. He come back to take care of his father and then decided to stay. But um, well, let me ask you: When you you went to the service, you served in Germany, mm-hmm. um, and then you did you come back right away, or did you? No, I came back right away. Um, took a job at, at GE. Okay, what were you doing? <laughs> Emptying waste baskets. Really? <laughs> well, because that was the entry level, and then what? yeah. yeah. At that time, that was the entry level, and then you could, once you got in the door, then you could go into uh-huh. other, Okay. you know, but it never, it just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Uh, I decided, well, I had the GI Bill. Um, I was involved in um, cooking, mm-hmm. was in, always interested in it, and yeah. So I decided I was going to, I heard about the Culinary Institute in New Haven, Connecticut, so mm-hmm. I decided, well, okay, Uncle Sam, that's where you're going to send me. Uh-huh. And I applied and got accepted. And, and was it got, a rigorous process to get in? No. Okay. No. And, and amazingly, um, someone who became my very best friend was the first student, mm-hmm. uh, to a black student, to attend the Culinary Institute. Uh, which was actually um, created by two female law professors at Yale, mm-hmm. Mrs. Roth and Mrs. Angel. And they did it right after the war to give GIs some sort of uh, education. So it opened with a storefront. Mm-hmm. And my friend Jeff Evans, who unfortunately he passed away, but he made it to 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's a long life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was... He sat mm-hmm. on the steps of the school all night, so he would be the first student to walk through the doors to enroll. Wow. Yeah. And, wow. And later came back and uh, became a faculty member and, and so on. Great, great, great history. Great guy. 
Um, well, speaking of fa- a faculty member and everyone you're, you're listening to Backstory, let's hear it. And we have with us Dennis Powell, president of the Berkshire County branch of the NAACP and long-serving activist. And so we're just talking right now about um, his affiliation with the Culinary Institute of America. You held several roles there. You were a teaching fellow, you were a faculty member, and then you went on to become department chair. Now, all of this seems very prestigious, and I also have to think that there is a historical significance to all of this. Yeah, you know, my grandmother was a cook at um, Hillcrest Hospital. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by uh, there was there was five of us, uh, but I spent my time under her in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But I also had a reason for it because I knew I'd get to eat more than my brothers and sisters. You, you could stash away a few. I could stash away. I get to lick the bowl. I get to you know. So yep. there, there was a method. There were benefits. There to was it. benefits, right? Yeah. Absolutely, fringe benefits. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, we always said the grace. Mm-hmm with one eye open to keep somebody from taking food off your plate. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, and I never knew, but I always had, for some reason, an understanding Mm -hmm. of spices and herbs and all of that and was always able to take a basket of something and end up making something very delicious out of it. That is an innate quality that not everybody has because someone like myself, I need a cookbook. I need a recipe. I need to follow it to the T. If I don't, no one's eating that night because the food is not going to be served. But individuals such as yourself, you have, I want to say that it's a God-given gift to be able to just put it all together and have it come out masterfully. And, you know, we wonder about our ancestry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was uh, doing research a couple of years ago for Black History Month, and I created this uh, presentation mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted to show our community that there was absolutely nothing that we enjoy today mm-hmm. that a black person mm-hmm. was not, was even not, the, was the inventor, mm-hmm. the creator whatever well look at farm to table oh i mean back in the day especially when um people lived um in the south the farm was all you had and you you i mean if you wanted chicken you'd go out and Mm -hmm. they would you know wring the neck of the chicken and you know take off the, the feathers and that chicken would be on the plate later that night i mean if you wanted um greens you'd go in the garden you'd get the greens you'd wash it off and a lot of the things that we think are trendy and new today um people before have done it the ability to know herbs and to be able to heal thyself mm-hmm. with herbs and different things um you know, ancestors have yes. always done that yep. um, and have been able to um, put those things together to be able to do it because there were no stores. Well, and we like also that. had a better understanding of what was around us. Right. My grandmother used to send us out with big brown bags to cut dandelions. Mm. I always wonder how pe- how they knew. And mm. there's, I think, because someone told them. 
because it's you know, obviously it was like, well, and just look for it. And there was always probably like, well, it looks like this. Yeah. And you want to pick that. And yeah. then you want to bring it home. Yeah. And then we're going to boil it yeah. or do whatever. Yeah. 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 And, 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 um, they understood mm-hmm. earth and, mm-hmm. and, and used it. And, uh, you know, I used to, um, tell the story, you know, even during slavery, uh, uh, Blacks knew that the nourishment of the potato was mm-hmm. in the skin. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that beautiful white inner. Mm-hmm. So, in, in cooking in the big house, mm-hmm. they'd peel the potato a little thick mm-hmm. and put all the peelings in the bag. Well, what 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 was the benefit of the skin? Because that's new to me. That's where all the nourishment is. Isn't that where the starch is? Isn't it? Starch is in the. It's in the potato is in itself. In the potato itself. So, what's the benefit of the skin? It's that's where all the nutrients and really? everything. Well, this is why you see today you go into a restaurant, you get mashed potatoes, you see the skins in it. Oh. The young potatoes, uh-huh. you know, like Yukon and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that have very thin skins. We don't bother peeling them anymore hmm. because that was such. Uh, that was the nourishment. I and, didn't know that. And what they would do is they would peel the potato thick. Yeah. Put the potato skins in the bag. Of course, they stick a little fat back on, on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then when they left to go back down to the slave shack, mm-hmm. and they'd ask them, well, what do you got in that bag? Well, I ain't got nothing but these old potato skins, uh-huh. massa. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they'd go, oh, go on, boy. Uh-huh. And they go down there and they fry up them skins. Right, because it was the, thought to be like leftovers. Yeah, it's, and gar- and, right. and they couldn't figure out, well, how come right. they're still so healthy? Mm. We're eating the best part of the potato, but they weren't. Mm. They're eating the starch with mm. all the butter and all of that, mm. and they were getting big and overweight and mm. whatnot. So food has always been um, uh, so important mm. in black culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, do you have Netflix? Yes, I watched. Did you watch? There was a documentary. Absolutely. Um, a few months ago. And, yeah. Okay, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like the history of food. I watched it four times. Oh wait. Okay. So so you know so he traveled but, to Africa. Yep. Yes, and he and there was a woman who, for the life of me, sounded like Maya Angelou. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and it it basically talked about the like the origins of food and how it connected to food in America. Yes, because connection. because it was the African cooks and mm-hmm. chefs that came here mm-hmm. and created the cuisine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we have here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I tell people, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson chef, mm-hmm. he brought creme brulee. Right. Well, didn't he, they he sent him to France? To France. Yeah, he right. he trained in France. Um, came back, he introduced creme brulee, mm-hmm. french fries, right. ice cream, right. and wasn't mac that, and cheese. Wasn't that Hemmings' brother? Hemmings', Hemmings brother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, so a lot of the great chefs yeah. were we're black. Yeah, I remember seeing how they made, because um, they had gone to Monticello, oh. and when they showed how, how they made the mac and cheese um, in this open, like the, the fire pit. Uh, I what, did it. What You did? I did. You did? I did it for um, um, Railroad Street uh-huh. uh, Youth Project yeah. staff. Yeah. I uh, wanted to uh, s- surprise them, so I did a complete uh, barbecue. For the staff at Railroad Street, because they, they work so hard, they're mm-hmm. so dedicated to to these to to our youth, mm-hmm. and 
I didn't do an open pit, but I used a uh, black skillet crock. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then I used a, a, a porcelain crock. Mm-hmm. And this mac and cheese, instead of cooking the macaroni in water, you cook it in milk. Right. And then you don't you don't rinse it. You just pull it out of the milk, and you put uh, a layer of butter, a layer of mac, a layer of whatever cheese you're going to use, mm-hmm. and then. You start again with 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 the macaroni. You keep built. You build it up to the top, mm-hmm. and then you put it in this iron casserole. Yes. Put the lid on. Yes. It. And when you do it in an open pit, you know you put the hot coals and everything on it. But I put it in a five hundred degree oven. Wow. And I'm telling you, it's the best mac and cheese. I, I, I saw that mac and cheese on that, that documentary, and I'm like, yeah, they were eating good. Yeah, and yeah. and the uh, gentleman that they f- uh, featured mm-hmm. who, who traced his ancestry through food, mm-hmm. I forget his name at the moment, but we had him as a, I, I, I um, partnered with Guido's because they have a book club, mm-hmm. and they were featuring his book. Really? When was this? was during the winter months and he came on and uh to one of our meetings yeah. and on zoom he talked about his whole project he wow. was part of that documentary that documentary i wish i could remember the name um but it was it was fascinating i watched it twice it was that good well i watched it three times because i kept writing down mm-hmm. the stuff uh um, it, it, it talked about, and I, I know we kind of got off course here, but yeah. it talked about food as this currency. It was. I think to your point, I mean, it, it showed how whether they were, you know, um, um, black folks in New York City, how they were able to either, you know, make a living with oysters or, you know, or open up whatever restaurant. The first restaurant or, was yeah. opened by a black man in New York. I had, Oyster. No, I, I had no idea. Yes. I had no idea. And even, you know, I love it. God allows me to wake up each year mm-hmm. into a new year, mm-hmm. I continue to learn so much. With all my ba- culinary background, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the real rice crop came from South Carolina. They call it, what is it, Carolina gold? Or gold, what? gold, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I just received, uh, my friend Judy Williamson yeah. just sent me, uh, she ordered online, uh-huh. this bag of gold rice you have to keep it in the freezer uh-huh. before you cook it. Now, I have to ask you, what is the difference between going to the supermarket and getting an X, Y, and Z brand of rice versus Carolina Gold? What is the, what, what's the difference in terms well, of taste? Well, for, I haven't eaten it yet. But have you eaten it? Oh, in, yes. Oh, in, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a difference. And see, um, and it, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Because sometimes... When you're being taught something, the reality of the real way it should have been cooked. Uh-huh. I remember my grandmother cooking rice mm-hmm. and pouring the water off the rice. Cooking the rice in a lot of water, mm-hmm. and when the rice was cooked, pouring the water off. Mm-hmm. Become a student at the Culinary Institute, mm. and we make rice pilaf. Mm-hmm where when you finish the rice, there's no water left. Right. Now, the problem with that 
is what they realize is that Rice has um, is it a nutrient? Or? No, it's no. a poison. Um, Ricin. Um, God, from the from, it, it comes from the from the ground. Yeah, and the reason you pour the water off, it doesn't get absorbed in there because you know even when. Um, Chinese cook rice and all of that. Yeah. They always pour the water off. Yeah. They never allow the water to. But you to, know there are people out. who save rice water because they say it helps with like different things for the body. People use it in for like um, hair shampoos mm-hmm, and things mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to think about the the poison aspect of it. At some point, maybe it was boiled boiled out of it because people are they use it for hair. Well, they use a lot of poisons in different. Products, <laughs> well, <laughs> cosmetic product, products. Well, that's so. and, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. but 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 the 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 idea yeah. that so my wife she used to make the rice the way her grandmother with mm-hmm. all this water. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm going to show her how to make the rice so there's no water. And how did that work out? Well, it worked out. Yeah, but I'm questioned today. Yeah. Was that the right thing? I don't know. I mean, I think about how I make rice, um, and someone told me how to do it. So you, you you put the rice in, and then you put water in, and then I stick my pinky in, and right at that, <laughs> <laughs> and there, and basically at the first line, I, and make sure the water doesn't rise above that. And again, this is not scientific. I mean, you know. This is something someone told me, yeah, and it uh, works. Yeah, well, it, it, it's like the ratio is two to one, mm-hmm. two water to one rice. Yeah, yeah. You don't drown it. You're right, gonna get yeah. you're gonna get mushy rice. Right. But if you, um, my great aunt, she was a great cook, and um, I remember she once said, if the rice, if if it's a bit soggy, put a paper towel over it and cover it with a lid, and the, it will absorb, absorb the, the moisture. moisture. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. There was there was great technique and mm-hmm. great skill. My grandmother taught me how to measure with my hand mm-hmm. by folding my hand a certain way. Mm-hmm. I could do teaspoon, tablespoon. Don't you just love that yeah. though? It it this this intelligence that was not defined by a school setting, right. but just the day to day experience. And then passing it down yeah, to the yeah. next generation, oh, yeah, yeah. and and that's what they did. Mm. You know, this was like we're doing now, telling stories. Mm-hmm. That was the African, right? That's why so many of the customs mm. we're practicing today, mm-hmm. because the elders told the story. Right. The elders passed down the the recipes and the generation, mm-hmm. and, and um, which is so important. And, it is, and I think that. With I love I love the internet I love everything I love technology I love all that it comes with but I think what it serves to do there it serves as a major distraction and I remember as a kid we didn't have that like I mean the internet just came around when I was in college so I had the benefit of having a childhood and using my imagination and thinking of things and. All the people who came before me, that's what they did. And they talked to one another. So they had social skills because they knew how to talk. They knew how to have a conversation. They knew how to tell stories and the importance of stories and storytelling because there was nothing else. And they used music Mm -hmm. as a means of messaging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and storytelling. Right. You know, we look at uh, uh, Frederick Douglass, who mm-hmm. used portraits as a means of telling the story mm-hmm. in a historical timeline. Right. You know, so, I mean, it's just so, if we just take the time. Well, that's why I asked you to do the roll call at the beginning, because it's important to remember people and say their names. Um, there is great importance in remembering the past. I, I think, you know, people, you can't just look at the modern times and think, gosh, we just got here mm, on our own. Mm. And for, you know, I'm not from Pittsfield. Um, we've only been in the Berkshires 11, it'll be what, 12 years this year. Mm-hmm. But what I have come to realize is that the families, the great families that come from Pittsfield, the legacy, the work that so many people um, have done to contribute to this community. And when you have new people, it's it's easy to forget that past if no one ever brings it up. Well, look at we. This is why we we have so much division mm. within families because we lost all of that. Mm. I mean, we lost the neighborhoods. You mm-hmm. know, when they said it takes a neighborhood to raise a child, there was no way I could walk two houses mm-hmm. on Mill Street mm-hmm. than an elder wasn't saying, "Does Nanny Sue know you're down here?" Mm-hmm. Right. Where are you going, boy? Right, right, you know. Right. So there was always a presence. Mm. Nobody could come into a, a, a black neighborhood and snatch a child mm. because everybody, you had that protection. Mm-hmm. My role model was Naylor Telefero. How so? Because he was uh, a, a, a head of the union at GE, mm-hmm. this black man. Now, Naylor lived on Deering Street, we lived on Mill Street. Mm-hmm. His house was directly across the street from my house. Yeah. So all of, I mean, we were all friends. Yeah. Ernie Telefero, Freddie Telefero, that we were all, we all grew up together. Yeah. Um, and this is why I love uh, Kamar. Kamar <laughs> is part of that family. family. Oh yes, he does, uh-huh. yeah. And, he's sharp. Uh, and he's amazing. Yeah. They were all sharp. Yeah. They were all absolutely, I used to be so envious of Ernie because he didn't have to study. I had to work mm-hmm. at it in school. Mm-hmm. It was like it came natural to mm. him. Uh, and um, but I always saw that man in a suit, mm-hmm. and that impressed me so. Mm-hmm. He went to work. He didn't drive. He would catch the bus on the bridge. But mm-hmm. when I would see him walk from his house, mm-hmm. he was clean. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. and. It got to the point where that inspired me. Mm. I mean, I used to iron my jeans. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to school if my jeans didn't have a crease in them. Mm-hmm. And my mother used to buy us used ski boots. Mm-hmm. Not that we could ski, right? but they were durable. We couldn't tear them up. Right. But I would shine them right? and, and go to school with shine ski boots. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's something that you pick up. Right. From elders, mm-hmm. you know, and we've lost that. How do you think we can get that back? Because I know with the NAACP today, there's a infusion of young members. Um, and I know when we look back in history, we can never 
it can never be exactly how we think it is. Even our when you know the places where we grew up, either they don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. or when you go back, the house seems smaller, the block seems smaller, everything seems different. So we can never truly go back in time. But it, what can we do to create a new sense of community? Well, we really have to believe in and invest mm-hmm. in our kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw. Um, the Freedom Fund. Mm-hmm. I mean, those young voices. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Your son was one of them. <laughs> and and my God. Yeah. How can we cancel that out? Mm-hmm. I mean, my hope mm-hmm. and my energy, mm-hmm. I put to the youth because I know that that's, that's tomorrow. When you see everything going on right now with like the Voting Rights Act and just all of that and how there's so much, there's such a, it's such an uphill battle around that. Um, And what people of your generation fought for, does it make you feel discouraged or exhausted in any way that we're sort of back here in 2022? You know, we're not back here. We never left. Mm. Mm. You know, I always tell people, we think we, have advanced mm-hmm. technology has advanced mm-hmm. humanity mm-hmm. hasn't unfortunately mm-hmm. uh, because why are we talking about a basic human right mm-hmm. the right to vote mm-hmm. why are we talking about that in 2022 mm-hmm. if we advanced mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and um, history why don't we not want to understand mm-hmm. history right uh, the beauty of it is we don't want to live that again right but we don't want to repeat it absolutely under a different umbrella right and this is what we're seeing we're right. seeing okay so no we're not hanging people mm-hmm. for their political um, intent like we did during reconstruction right but we're not going to give them a bottle of water. Or post-reconstruction. Or post-reconstruction. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to give them... It will, we will be considered a criminal if we take them a bottle of water right. if they're standing on line right. in 90-degree temperature waiting to vote. Right. Okay? Or food. So we're using different means of oppression. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're not hanging and whatnot. But... We're now going into this vigilante mode, Mm. which is what scares me the most. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if we look throughout history, Mm -hmm. the vigilante doesn't investigate innocence or guilt. It's more or less based on rage, Mm -hmm. racism, Mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. And I'm really uh, concerned with uh, going forward, you know, to think that when I look at the the hypocritical nature of our elected officials, mm-hmm. here you have John Lewis, mm-hmm. who his entire life right. survived brutal beatings and whatnot, mm-hmm. fought for the right to vote, right, and you couldn't pass 
voting rights re- legislation? It it's um it's it it it's so exhausting and discouraging. I was just talking to someone about that um just that feeling that you get when you see this upside down nature of everything. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that people who came before dealt with so much more. And in in the face of all of that, they were still able to find their joy, find the ability to 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 protest, to live their lives, to raise their families, and to have hope that tomorrow would be a better day. And I sometimes think that we need to tap into that ethereal source because they are the blueprint. They showed that they kept their hand at the wheel because they had hope. And so, you know, what advice or guidance can you give to the younger generation in terms of turning their hope into action. What are some things that they can do right now to um, to 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 have a proactive sense of hope? Just like John Lewis said, mm-hmm. make noise, mm-hmm. good noise, and they're doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you listen to Olivia's presentation mm-hmm. when she spoke at the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s mm-hmm. celebration. She t- told the truth about her experience in P- Pittsfield Public Schools mm-hmm. and offered solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, so I see the difference in our young people. Mm-hmm. Our young people are willing to mm-hmm. use their voice. They're willing to go out in the street. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, just on their their position on climate change. Uh, Washington D.C. They're all walking out of school mm-hmm. because they don't feel that uh, this whole thing with um, being protected from this whole virus right. is, is being handled in the right way. Mm-hmm. They want to protect their, and, and this is what I love, mm-hmm. and this is what I see. Um, I was on a panel mm-hmm. uh, at uh, Wams College, and I was the oldest person on the panel. Nice. But I'm telling you, it was, I I can't even describe it, but to listen to these young people, I mean, probably two, you had to put two of their ages together Mm -hmm. to equal my age. Mm -hmm. Okay? And this is what I say. Let's bring them to the table. Yeah. Okay? What we've laid out for them Mm -hmm. the blueprint Mm -hmm. didn't work Mm. and it isn't working Mm. they know they understand Mm -hmm. they are a lot more i mean well let me ask you this when you say the i want to know what's not working is it like what we're doing today as a collective society that's not working what would you say is not working well because we're, we're we're still trying to uh sit at a table mm-hmm. and determine the future mm. of the people that are going to be in charge right. when we're gone. Right. They without need to without be having them at the table. Absolutely. They uh, need to be yeah. there. Right. How can, how, how, what do I look like? Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to determine your son's future? Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to have your son at the table mm-hmm. right. telling me. Right. And then we support that. Right. Right. Okay. And but that requires the relinquishing of power. And power sits at the heart of everything. I, I think if we think to just just about every conundrum and issue, the desire to retain power drives a lot. Uh, yeah, and 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 you're right. You've got to know when to go. Right. <laughs> Well, that's well, one way to put it. Yeah, right. you got to know when to go, but mm-hmm. you also have to put in the investment do. to make sure, mm-hmm. you know. And from the time that I became the president of the NAACP, mm-hmm. that's been my major goal. And when you look at mm-hmm. even our structure and our makeup, mm-hmm. the chairs, I have an older person mm-hmm. and a younger person mm-hmm. co-chairing. Mm-hmm. So what are they doing? Right. They're helping and supporting each other. The younger is learning, mm-hmm. but the older is also learning right. from the younger. Right. Okay? And so we're creating the ability for them to take over. Right. It, it, and what that and it helps to prevent the chapter from then going back again into this null, you know, null and void, no, yeah, you know, yeah. stage. Stage. You know, I mean, when you and Will Singleton and others had that meeting back in 2015 um, and came together and said, we want to, you know, resurrect the NAACP, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time you must have been seeing different things happening that you all said, we need this chapter to be back. And you needed 50 members to um, fully reactivate. Was that hard to do at that time? It wasn't hard. We was really surprised. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and all the credit really goes to Will Singleton mm-hmm. because I was living it. Mm-hmm. I knew it, but I was living it. Okay. He's the one that when he came back to take care of his father and he started walking into places and not seeing people that look like him. Mm-hmm. He said, wait a minute. This is different than when I left, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. There was no one that looked like him in the financial institutions, in government, in the school system and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we'd actually gone mm-hmm. backwards, mm-hmm. okay? And so he, he called me and I said, well, yeah, let's, so we got, you know, the oldies, Joyce Cunningham mm-hmm. and, and Barbara Hanger mm-hmm. and, you know, and. The Pittsfield Greats. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and, and Mabel Hamilton, That's of right. course, Mother Mabel, my God. Yeah. And uh, and we sat, again, what better place than Second Congregational Church, mm-hmm. the basement. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when we're blacks mm-hmm. conspired. <laughs> oh, gosh, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but that's where meetings yes. took place. Uh-huh. Always, because that was supposed to be the safe place. Right, and Boulder Church was the center of black life. Yes, from absolutely. Of, you know, society. That's The church has always been that, yep. that central place. Yep. And so, yeah, so we did that, and it was just like that. They mm. said, you know, we said, do we need to resurrect the NAACP? And they said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we had 50 members before we even realized it. Mm-hmm. And were told at the time by a political figure, which I won't mention, 
but uh, don't worry, in a year they'll be gone. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going seven uh, years later. Yeah, eight going on eight. Yeah, yeah, going yeah, on yeah eight. here we are, and an important presence, mm. and 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 this need and. Well, I got to ask you that too because there would there would be some who say, well, you know, at the height of the civil rights, I I could see the need for the NAACP. Um, to those who may say, well, what is the relevance today? What would you say? Look at the injustices. Mm-hmm. Look at what's going on in our school system. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, the the. the the race tension mm-hmm. in, in, in our schools. Mm-hmm. Look at the lack of, of diversity mm-hmm. uh, throughout our community. We're not where we were. Mm-hmm. We're a little better. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not where we should be. So we still got more work we to do. We got a lot of work to do. And you heard Sabrina, mm-hmm. vice president. Mm-hmm. I went looking for a vice president. Mm-hmm. I'm mentoring her. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Like Sam Cooke says, a change is going to come. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. We are creating the young generation mm-hmm. um, so we can move over. Right. We can step back. I want to be the voice that supports mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and builds up right you know our young people because they're going to have to have that power they're going to have to have that voice and they're going to have to use it more and more they've got to have that courage and they do mm-hmm. they are willing to speak right truth to power right uh, i was brought up in an era if I challenged the teacher, mm-hmm. I got in trouble. Right. I love the fact that they're challenging, mm-hmm. they're investigating, right. they're knowing. Um, the ba- greatest thrill that happened to me was... And I want you to think about it in a nutshell, because we have okay. one minute left. Okay. Was my grandson. Yeah. Had to do a project mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. He had to... Uh, a, Identify somebody in the present that was related with doing the work of Dr. King. And my son says, well, Jackson, who are you going to write about? Because Jackson is in all the sports. So he just knew it was going to be. He says, Dad, it's a no-brainer. Grandpa. (laughs) What a testimony. That's a testament to everything, your example, not only to the community, but to your family. And for him to automatically say he's my he's he he's my person. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it nice that those are their heroes? Right. Okay. And this is what we lack. We took the heroes away from our children mm-hmm. by not teaching history, by not teaching the greatness of the contributions that black people made. In this country. Well, I think we have the opportunity, Dennis, to change that. And we change it with our stories. We change it by each one telling the other. And like you said, that proactive sense of hope. 
Um, there's so much more that we could say, yeah. but time has run out. <laughs> okay. And so I just want to thank you, sir. No, thank thank you. you for this conversation. Thank you so much. And if folks want to find out more about the NAACP, where can they go? They can go right to our website. All right. Perfect. Was that BerkshireNAACP.org? .org. Yeah. All right. So you've been listening, everyone, to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsville. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you.